Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 15 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Christ, at the name of Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this is a glorious text. And uh, <clears throat> maybe it's even, uh, it's, a f- it's a famous text. Maybe you've heard it before. If you've been around the church, it's probably a pretty familiar text to you. Maybe you've even memorized it in the NIV or ESV or New King James. And the only danger of a familiar, famous text is that, you know the phrase, familiarity can breed contempt. We tend to take for granted the things that we get really used to. And, and that's fine in, in most realms of life, but if, if we get too familiar with Jesus and start to take him for granted, there's a big problem. And I, I think if we become too familiar and cavalier and casual towards Jesus, in even a text like this, our view of Jesus begins to shrink like this. And my aim today, I'm being very clear, in, in this message is I want to expand the heights of the majesty of Christ and I want to expand the depths of his sacrifice for you. That's all we're doing. So don't, don't become familiar. I want familiarity to turn into awe today and I'm, I'm praying for that to happen. I've been praying all week for that and that takes a miracle. So I, I wanna pray with me, pray with me that this would happen. God, we admit in humility that we are blind to your majesty. We could spend a lifetime studying you and we would barely scratch the surface of your grandeur. This requires a miracle of your spirit to open our eyes to see you as we should. So come, Spirit, now. Open our eyes that we may be in awe of who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. When I was a junior in high school, I moved from the familiar to the unfamiliar. My uh, mom had uh, remarried, and we moved out of our familiar home into my stepdad's home, and he'd lived there for many years, and everything was new to me. I remember the spot, there's a little prep space next to the black fridge where you'd make toast in the morning, and maybe you've got a refrigerator like this, ours looks like this, you've got tons of stuff on the the black fridge, right? You've got pictures and magnets, and the stuff hangs there forever. 
For most people in that household, probably everything on that fridge had become super familiar. You didn't have eyes to see it, didn't notice it. But for me, it was brand new. It's a new fridge. I remember seeing one thing on that fridge to this day. It was this crinkly piece of paper cut out and taped, barely hanging on. You know, the scotch tape has dust on it now. Not read it. It was, it was a quote by some guy named Charles Swindoll. Said this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. I've got the quote here. Attitude to me is more important than facts. What? <laughs> really? It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes. It's more important than what other people think, say, or do. Attitude is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Swindoll says, it will make or break a company, a church, or a home. Do you agree with him? That's, that's a high view of attitude. I still remember that little quote in the fridge. If the Apostle Paul was sitting like right there, probably in that pew, that's where he'd sit if he was here. He would be nodding along. He'd be going, amen, brother. He says it actually in the text. Paul believed attitude was critical. In fact, in our text so far from verses one up till verse five, he's talked about attitude three times and he uses this word that's hard to translate, but it's the word mind. It shows up in your study. Maybe you circled it three times. And he says this in verse five. He says this, have this mind among yourselves. That word, if you're with us last week, Dale said it's a hard word to translate, but I it's mind, it's a mindset, it's a th thought life, the, the posture of your outlook towards others. But I think a great word for our modern day to translate that might be your inner attitude towards others. Attitude. Have this attitude among yourselves. How would you uh, describe your attitude this past week? Be really honest, and I know it probably changes every day, but if, if you could hit you know, a record button on your internal thought life, the dialogue that you have in your brain as you walk through the day, and then you sat down and were forced to listen back to the tone of your thoughts, what would be the theme of your attitude this past week? What's the canter of your inner batter of your mind? Maybe uh, this past week, if you're honest, your attitude has been one of self-importance as you try to weave through Fort Collins traffic knowing that your schedule is the most important schedule of all the schedules of all the peoples. And that's been your attitude. Have you had that before? Maybe uh, you've had the attitude of grumbling this past week in a moment where you've thought to yourself, the inner candor of your thought life has been, I deserve better than this. You had that attitude. 
Maybe uh, you've had the attitude of self-pity because you've done something really nice and people didn't notice how nice you were. Maybe you've had an attitude of cynicism. <laughs> you've been watching the culture and the world and you just think it's all going to the toilet and so your inner thoughts is, oh, there it goes again. Yeah, our culture's going down the toilet. This is terrible. What's been the theme of your inner attitude this past week? If you uh, have to preach on attitude, Jesus will give you an opportunity to work on that attitude. <laughs> so even, even this past week on our, our date night, my wife and I got permission to share this, but we got into one of those just absolutely nothing fights. You know, the fight the next day, we were like, why? Why did we do that? There, that was so pointless. <laughs> and the next day though, I noticed that I just woke up with a bad attitude attitude that day was coloring my time with my kids at the pool. It was shaping my day. And it was me and my attitude. Attitude's powerful. Paul knows this and he wants us to leverage the power of attitude to change the culture of the community we live in. Think about it, the people in Philippi, this is a small house church, this little pocket in the bustling province of Philippi. There's Roman soldiers everywhere. There's a big government that's got their thumb on them. They don't have much privilege, status, resources, influence. But what they do have, and Paul knows this, is a choice every day for the kind of attitude they will have. He thinks it's the key. What's been your attitude? Everyone, every single day has an attitude and Paul wants us to have an attitude like Christ. And so today I, I want us to gaze at Jesus and see what was Christ's attitude and then how could we have it? So look at the text with me in verse five. Verse five of chapter two. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is an attitude, a mindset. Consider the attitude of Jesus. This is what I love about this text. A lot of texts talk about Jesus from the outside in. Today, we're gonna enter the inner thought life of the Son of God. What did Jesus think about? What was his attitude? Well, imagine it first. In order to understand his attitude, we have to understand from where he's come to where he went to where he's going. And that's the whole message, up and down. He says this, who, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's ponder that phrase for a moment. What would be your attitude if you had the form of God? Divinity. The privileges of being divine. What's your thought life, your mindset, your attitude? Just think about this for a moment. The pre-incarnate son of God. We're talking before he ever took on human flesh. He's God. And he has some privileges of being deity. I have highlight three of these for us today. First, uh, the privilege of being in the form of God means that he was limitless. His spirit, look at uh, Revelation 22:13. 13. 
Jesus himself says, I am the alpha and omega, the first and the last. Anybody else here can say that? The beginning and the end. As the son of God, pre-incarnate Christ has no limits in time or space whatsoever. Before the universe was, there was God. And after it's over, there's God in his creation. This is his form. Consider the privilege of being deity. What kind of attitude would you have if you are literally limitless? <laughs> but it's not just the privilege of his form. Consider the privilege of his status as the son of God, his position. Jesus spoke to it in John 17, five. He said, and now father, glorify me in your own presence. Listen to this. With the glory that I had before the world existed. Before there's a universe, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in perfect harmony, and Christ rightly is receiving the due glory, his name. Perfect harmony. It's a privilege of being deity, but it's, it's more than that. Not just his form or his status, but his power. Think about Christ's power as deity. He is, this is Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Are you reading this? Jesus, all things, all means all. For by him all things were created, just in case we didn't understand that, in heaven and on earth. Things you can see and stuff you can't see, even stuff like attitude. <laughs> Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities writing to Philippi, he's even created the Roman Empire. Nothing could be more powerful than the Roman Empire. But Christ, through him all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The balance of the universe is under his power. This are just a few. These are just a few of the privileges of being deity. And it, it's so hard for us. We read these scriptures, they're so familiar. We can't wrap our brains around the privileges of being divine. And I, and I, I reach for for illustrations, and maybe this week uh, a recent one can help. Did anybody hear about this new telescope that's going up in outer space? It's hanging out there a few million miles in outer space. It's like the size of a football field. It's the Webb Space Telescope. Th consider this with me for just a moment. This telescope has taken a picture of the furthest we have ever seen into the known universe. This just happened. It was scrolling past on Facebook on your newsfeed. But there was a really cute video of a cat <laughs> that was right next to it, right? I've, I've got an image of it on, on the screen, and it's hard for this to compare to the cat video. You might not laugh as much as this, but we've we got to try and wrap our brains around this image. Do you see that image? This is the image. This is the furthest we've ever seen into space, just, just this week. And you glance at that image and at first you think, wow, look at those stars. It kind of looks like a night sky. And the only problem with this image is those aren't stars. Those are galaxies you're looking at. 
And scientists' best estimation is that the average galaxy contains at least 100 million stars. 100 million in each of those. Do you see the cute little orange one right there? You look closer, there's 100 million stars right there next to the countless other galaxies. Now you'd think this big football-sized telescope would have captured a lot of the night sky, right? Like, how big is the image that we're looking at? Well, if you laid down in a Colorado meadow in the middle of the night and you saw the big expanse of the sky and you wondered, how much of the sky is this image showing as I look with my naked eye at the whole sky? And if you picked up a grain of sand, and you held that grain of sand as far away from your eyeball as possible, and you looked at that grain of sand, that's how much of the sky you're looking at. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In the exact imprint of his nature, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ wants to extinguish a sun or star into a bursting black hole. He licks his finger and extinguishes like a wick. This is Christ. And we're familiar with him. And so we think, well, he's just a guy. He probably had a beard. But the pre-incarnate son of God is the Christ. He's the radiance of God. That image pales in comparison to who Christ is. You cannot understand his attitude and what he's done until we really have a picture of who he is. What's your view of Christ? How big is it? I'm praying, Spirit, right now, please, raise it three notches. Because your view of God shapes your attitude in the world. It really does. One illustration, much of our pride stems from too small a view of God. You got a big head because you don't understand who this God is. Do you feel small next to that? We circle one star <laughs> in countless galaxies. This is the God we serve. What's your view of God? How does it affect your attitude? This is the God we serve. This is this is the stunning part. Though he has all those privileges, is the highest being our, our minds can wrap around, we can't even fathom. Consider the attitude of this God. Look at the text with me. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. What kind of attitude is required to do that? What does it mean that he didn't consider it something? 
Now, I, this is the ESV translation. The NIV might be like a little bit clearer, but what, what does this phrase mean that he didn't grasp it and he emptied himself? Another translation might say, though he was God, he did not consider to hold on and take advantage of the privileges of deity. He, think about it, he's God, but he didn't exploit it. Like, like, uh, like Queen Elizabeth, who has all the rights and privileges of having a bulletproof motorcade taken to her next stop, choosing to instead walk, take a taxi. That, that's a terrible illustration. That's like that small compared to Jesus. He, he didn't take advantage of the privileges of being deity. He let go of those. And, and uh, one pastor put it well, I think it was Alistair Begg who put it this way. How did he empty himself? This is not emptying yourself and becoming nothing by subtraction, but by addition. That is to say, the pre-incarnate Son of God did not lose divinity to gain something else. He is and forever will be divine, but he became nothing by adding to himself forever humanity. That's subtraction by addition. Th think about it. He's, think of what Christ has done. I'll follow those same privileges and we'll see how he didn't take advantage of any of those. Consider the privilege of his form. He let go, he did not exploit the privilege of his form by being spirit for all eternity past. He takes on and limits himself as an infinite being into a finite human cage. This God who extinguishes stars has felt the sting of a scraped knee. He knows what it feels like for your bones to ache as you grow up through puberty. <laughs> the, the God, the infinite God of the universe who is omnipresent, has no limits to his space and where he can be limited himself by choice to be so limited that as an infant he could not crawl across the living room floor without his teenage mother stooping down to pick him up and brace his head because they don't have neck strength yet. God didn't have neck strength. He did not exploit or take advantage of the privilege of his form as being God, but it, it's more. He didn't take advantage of his position either. He could have at least come into humanity and been born into a palace and become king of kings on earth. That would be fitting. I mean, it would be way stepped down from the glory of heaven, but still, to be number one of seven and a half billion people. But he was born to nowhere, to people of nobody, poor, Inconsequential. If Jesus became incarnate today in Fort Collins, I doubt we'd see him in this room. We're way too privileged in this room. If you own or rent a home, that's not how Jesus would roll in Fort Collins. For the Son of Man did not have a place to rest his head. Think of how low he came. He came and it says, not only was he found in human form, but he 
was found in the form of a servant in verse seven. A servant, not a king. Do you see he limited his form, he limited his status, but there's another step, it goes even further. Not only was he human, not only was he a servant, but he became obedient, obedient. And by doing so, he gave up his power or rights. And every American in the room is saying, hold on, Mm -mm. don't you take away my rights. And the son of God said out of love, I willingly give up my rights as divine. (laughs) I give them up for them and I will become the ultimate example of humble submission and obedience. Even when Father God says, go and die, I say yes. That's submission. That's giving up your rights. This is what Christ has done. B.B. Warfield said it well. He said, the Lord of the world became a servant in the world. He whose right it was to rule took obedience as his life characteristic. Are you, are you, are you wrapping your brain around this? The privilege of being God and he said, I'll obey. Even in the garden with sweat and blood dripping off his face, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to do this but not my will, yours, I will obey. Down, 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 and not just death, not just any death. No, he died even death on a cross. The most horrific, and humiliating death that the human race has ever invented. Think about death on a cross. Put yourself in the position of like government. All right, morning meeting, you got your coffee. We've got all these criminals and we need to get rid of them. We need to kill them. Uh, How should we do this efficiently? You know what's not an efficient way to get rid of criminals? The cross. I mean, they could just stab them and be done with it or hang them or something, but no, 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 no. We want to humiliate them and destroy their personhood. So call up the entire battalion. Um, Hey, Jimmy, would you go out and find a thorn bush and I'd like you to painstakingly weave together a crown of thorns. Mind the thorns, put on some gloves, take some time, come back tomorrow, get the purple robe. Who's got a scepter? Let's mock him for a while. Okay, hey, tell the town to line up for the parade. We've got a parade. Who has hewn out the tree? We've got the oak tree, good. Strap it to him, have him parade. It's gonna take a while. In fact, it's gonna take all afternoon because he's so bloody and weak. It's gonna take a long time for him to drag his weak self up to the top of that hill. And let's take one of the best spots in the city with the great view overlooking the entire town of Jerusalem and let's put some crosses there. Let's strip them naked. No sweet, 
painting of Jesus with some linen just gracefully draped across his body. No, naked. Humiliated. And mocked. He became obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's your view of God and how does it shape your attitude? We can't appreciate what he's done until we know where he's been. And if the argument is from the greater to the lesser, if divine son of God would humble himself to that point, then you and I have no excuse for our attitude. How much more should we be willing to let go of our rights and privileges that we hold on to so strongly? and have the attitude of submission and humility before the Father. What's your view of God? How does it shape your attitude? This is what Christ has done for us. And Paul is using this beautiful hymn of Christ as the ultimate example, as he calls the people of Philippi to have humility towards one another, to have that kind of attitude, the attitude of Christ. How can we have that when we get into a nothing fight and then go to the pool with your kids? I had to ask myself that question. It's a lot easier to preach about than to do. I'm preaching to myself at the pool. I'm getting splashed in the face. Though he was in the form of God. Come on, Zach. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Come on. How do we have this? And I want to suggest today the, the beauty again of Christianity is that every command God gives also the means to fulfill it. This is the anatomy of a gospel imperative and it's all over the Bible and I want you to see it with your own eyes in verse five. Look at this. One word, have this mind among yourselves, is the main verb of this clause. Present active indicative, do this. Have this mind. Paul is saying, go have an attitude of humility towards others. Do it. Strive. Work. In most world religions, that's where it ends. But not Christianity. So I love following Jesus because he's not just the ultimate model of humility. He's the very means of having humility. That's why Paul can say, do this. Here's the command, be humble. And then he comes with the gospel of grace, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do this. Follow his example, and he's already purchased it for you. Don't you see? It's, Jesus didn't just say, I'm the model, try to be like me in your own effort. He said, my very act of humbling myself is the thing that purchased a Christ-like attitude for you. 
because of his death, because he paid the penalty for your sins, it's because of that he can say, like Paul says in verse one, that we now have participation with the Spirit, AKA Christ dies, he's raised from the grave, you put your faith in him, he gives you the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you to will and to work that attitude one day at a time in you. Yes, strive, yes, work, yes, put in some habits, but Christ, Christ is in you working. Oh, the beauty of a gospel command. I love the yoke of Jesus. It's unlike any other yoke of world religion there could be. Do you see how sweet it is? Next week, main part of the sermon is that verse. How do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Though it is God working in you. That's the tension of effort and Christ working in you. Next week, teen it up. Oh, I love the gospel. This is the how. Christ is both the model of humility and the very means of you having humility at the pool with your kids after a nothing fight. What then is the result of Christ coming from here and going to there? I hope it's expanding. Consider this. One of the great therefores in scripture in verse nine. Therefore. Therefore. What's gonna result? This therefore is not despite being human. Despite having to wear diapers as the deity of the world. Not despite, but as a direct result of his humiliation, his condescension into human form. As a result, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Kyrios, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As a result of his humiliation, he is exalted to the highest place by the Father. Every knee, every tongue, think of the cute little house church, this little community gathered together in a Roman province, and someone's reading this letter from Paul out loud, they're doing that. Imagine the moment they read this part. We hope, I hope we wanna ho holler and clap, and I, I wonder if for them it was like, Shh. it's a Roman province. We only use that word for Caesar. We do, don't let anyone hear us. This declaration in that place and time, yeah, it might say Lord on the coins, and it might look like Caesar, but the real Lord of every, every knee. Caesar himself, one day, he will bow. Every angel, every soul that's ever existed, every demon, even Satan himself, one day will bow the knee and say, you are Lord. This is our Christ. He's worthy. 
He's worthy. As one commentator put it, one day the universe will acknowledge what the small persecuted community at Philippi confessed in their Sunday morning worship services in an inconsequential house in Philippi. Jesus is Lord. Have you bowed the knee? Have you confessed with your mouth? I want to invite you today to gladly do that. Not to some dictator, not to a monster, but the loving God of the universe who stepped down for you and died in your place. Would you bow to him? How can we have this attitude? I, I began with something so familiar that for me was fresh eyes, the taped quote on the side of the fridge, but I, I never finished the quote. And I just want to conclude briefly with the rest of the quote from some guy named Charles Swindoll. He says this, after talking about the importance of attitude in his life, he says, the remarkable thing is, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't even change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Swindoll says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. This week you're gonna have a moment, it's gonna happen. You'll be mad at me in that moment. And you'll recognize, oh, I'm thinking in my head as you interact with someone else. Maybe it's a neighbor, coworker, it could be somebody in the church. And I want you to notice the theme of your thought life in that moment. What's the canter? If you listened back to the recording, if your thoughts suddenly became audible to everybody around you, what, what would they say? What's your attitude in that moment? And when that moment happens, and it will ring, I want you to consider Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be taken advantage of, but emptied himself by taking on humanity in the form of a servant and became obedient all the way to the point of the cross for you. And in that moment, my prayer for you is that Christ would begin to work and well up in you the mindset and the attitude of Christ himself. Let's pray together. Father, I confess first that I do not want to share things that don't affect me first. And so I pray, God, that you would first help me to grow in both the effort and the faith that it takes to trust that you're producing this kind of humility in me. Have your way. And then I ask Please today, as I've prayed over and over, Spirit, continue now and well into the week. 
produce in us that which we do not have in ourselves. Christ-like humility. It's only possible because of you, Jesus. So from one degree of glory to the next, shape us into Christ's image this week. Make us a people who carry the attitude of Christ in a way that stuns the world. And we pray that you would do this for your namesake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.